This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at Ravinia.org. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at WBEZ.org slash events. It's Curious City, where we take your questions about Chicago and the region and investigate, report, explore from WBEZ. Hey, I'm WBEZ reporter Monica Eng, and I need to warn you that this story's got some frank talk about male nudity and some crude language. Okay, picture this. You're a 14-year-old high school freshman boy. You're self-conscious, worried about fitting in. There's peer pressure. And suddenly you're standing buck naked with boys that are in your science class or the guy that sits next to you in your math class. What Kennedy High School grad John Connors is describing here wasn't just some bad dream, but a simple reality of high school swim class for millions of boys in the Chicago area. As late as 1980, some schools were requiring boys to swim naked. Yeah, I know it's kind of hard to believe today. So I called up my old Lane Tech high school gym teacher, Coach John Lewis. Yeah, they swam in the nude. The only ones that were trunks when they were on swim team and they swam in the meet. In the classes, they swam in the nude. Yeah, nude. That's what listener Mike Sanfilippo heard from his dad. It just seems hard to believe that they actually did that. So he asked Curious City. When did that start? What was the reason for that? And was this something unique to Chicago or was it practiced across the country? Well, first off, it did happen around the country. But to answer the why part and how it ended in Chicago, we're going to have to dig into how the policy was carried out and how it affected students. This includes some students who say they're still bothered by it decades later. It was the scariest experience I ever had. And without boasting, I don't scare easily. There was definitely dread. I mean, who wanted to do that? You know, raise your hand. How many of you want to go swim naked? And it, it seemed like torture. Girls get swimsuits and we didn't. Why was that the case? It didn't make much sense to us. Those were Lane Tech, Kennedy, and Waller High School grads Ron Grossman, Robin Washington, John Connors, and James Mitchell. So could there have been some good reason for requiring 14-year-old boys to swim naked while their female peers in separate classes got to wear suits? We tried asking Chicago public schools about it over several months, but officials wouldn't answer any questions about nude swimming. So we're turning to interviews and documents to unravel this mystery. And to understand it, you need to start with a little history. See, in the early 20th century, YMCAs and public high schools built thousands of indoor pools to teach folks to swim. And at the time, the country was kind of obsessed with the idea of good hygiene and keeping pools clean. You have to remember that back then, disease epidemics were pretty common, and germ-killing chlorination hadn't quite been perfected. 
Plus, those early pool filters could get clogged by fibers from bathing suits, often made of wool at the time. Yeah, wool bathing suits. So in 1926, the American Public Health Association, or AFA, wrote guidelines for swimming pools meant to reduce the cloggy fabric fibers and really make sure the boys had good hygiene. They said women should wear simple suits, but, quote, at indoor pools used exclusively by men, nude bathing should be required. And according to Brad Thompson, an historian who has archived people's stories about nude swimming, these AFA guidelines dictated public pool policy for decades. Public schools followed AFA from cafeteria and everything on how they handled their health, and those schools that didn't have the practice were anomalous. So schools that didn't have boys swim naked, they were the outliers. Plus, that unscientific double standard for girls and boys was pretty normal back then. Gender was very much segmented, and double standards were not only acknowledged, but were enforced. Okay, so maybe you could defend the policy back then. Like, hey, this was the 1920s and everyone was following those AFA rules. But here's the thing. The technology got better. We had better filters, better chlorination, nylon swimming suits. So by 1962, AFA dropped the nude recommendation. So then why would Chicago public schools keep making boys swim naked for another 20 years? We couldn't get an official explanation from CPS, but one possible reason was cost. In fact, a Wisconsin school district successfully fought a challenge to the rule in 1961. And the rationale? That it would just cost too much money to buy the boys' bathing suits. Back here in Chicago, though, the coaches we spoke to say that even in the 70s, they were told it was all about keeping up the hygiene. But come on. If pool hygiene was so important, how come the girls didn't have to go nude, too? My former Lane Tech coach, John Lewis, said that part was about female modesty. When you look at a female's body, there are more things that are showing than on males. Females had breasts and everything. So they were able to cover that because females like to hide a lot of things. Whereas boys, there's only one thing and everybody had the same thing. But as former student John Connors pointed out, not everybody had the exact same thing. There were kids that were heckled and abused and like penis size was made fun of. And I felt so horrible for them having to stand there naked. And Lane Tech graduate Ron Grossman says this was an age when spontaneous erections posed an ever-looming threat. You walk around constantly stimulated, constantly looking for ways to hide it. Plus, at Kennedy High School, Connors said the policy opened up kids to a kind of bullying that would be, well, unthinkable today. You know, I remember this one guy, he was like a big, tough, kind of burnout guy, and he had a really big dick. And he was like, you know, flipping it around to people. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> I don't think that happens today. I don't think like a freshman going to Kennedy today has to deal with like this bully guy, like flipping his dick at you. That sounds pretty bad. So why didn't they just protest or demand a reasonable explanation? Grossman says you didn't dare question authority in his day. Plus... If you even asked, you're in danger of being classified as the in-between sex if you get my drift. And being accused of being gay was a pretty big deal back then. 
Still, amateur historian Thompson says not everyone hated it. He's heard from hundreds of guys, and some were pretty okay with it. There were a lot of men that just said, hey, that's what it meant to be a man in the early 20th century. And, you know, you bucked up and you did what you had to do and there was nothing wrong with it. And, you know, they enjoyed their swim classes and had good fond memories of it. Even so, by the early 70s, CPS was seeing pockets of revolt. On the South Side, John Connors says boys at Kennedy High School resisted. They threw broken glass in the pool, which forced the school to cancel swimming classes. And so they clean the pool, they fill it up again, and we're going to have swim. And they came in again and they broke more bottles and threw them in the pool. I mean, that was like that, how much anxiety they were having. They were like doing a misdemeanor just to get out of taking their clothes off in front of everybody. And it wasn't just the students. On the north side, Roosevelt High School coach Manny Weincourt said the rule was making students skip gym class and miss out on potentially life-saving swimming skills. So he took the issue to CPS officials downtown. I said, many students sit in the balcony in their street clothes because they refuse to go swimming in the nude. So you're taking a great activity away from them, which could last until your 90s and save lives. But he says officials wouldn't budge. So Weincourt, he defied them. I decided the boy should swim with trunks. And I was told, oh, there'll be repercussions. My answer to that was, well, if I get in trouble for the right thing, then to me it's really not trouble. After that, coaches I talked to said the rules started to crumble at more and more Chicago schools. And through the 70s, schools across the country dropped the nude swimming rule until it was finally snuffed out for good by a federal law known as Title IX. Title IX required all gym classes to go co-ed. And new co-ed swimming, that wasn't going to happen. But this all came too late for CPS students like John Connors. He went through nude swimming in the late 70s at Kennedy High School. And he says the experience has followed him into adulthood. The first time I joined a gym, I had total locker room anxiety. And it took a really long time for that to kind of subside. And, I mean... It's not like some businessman that goes to the gym is going to, like, you know, start picking on me or something like that. But that's still in the back of my head. Like, that same anxiety was there. This week's reporting came from me, Monica Eng. Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation. While we have you here, I have another announcement. If you're a Cubs fan, you might want to skip the next 30 seconds. This is for White Sox fans. You may have heard we're working on a story about the history of the White Sox logo. You know that diagonal, Old English SOX. We've heard a lot of stories about people's memories of seeing the logo for the first time in 1990, including our favorite from Mark Dorr. He liked it so much as a 10-year-old kid, he got permission from the White Sox to modify his bedroom carpet in the style of the logo. So we're collecting photos of White Sox logos in interesting or surprising places. Got a tattoo? We want to see it, assuming it's not inappropriate. Have you seen a White Sox hat or worn one someplace super far from Chicago, like the Great Wall of China, Antarctica, or outer space? Could happen. 
Email your photos of White Sox logos in surprising locations or applications to CuriousCity at WBEC.org. Or message us on social media. We'll be collecting our favorites and may include them in our story. Next time on Curious City, Chicago, home of the blues, skyscrapers, and the cha-cha slide. Yep, it started as a dance for an aerobics class. People would say, hey, let's do that dance you have. And I was like, what dance? And it was like the cha-cha slide. And it traveled pretty far after that. I looked online and seen the Cuban inmates doing the cha-cha slide. How the cha-cha slide and other dances got their start in Chicago. That's next time on WBEC's Curious City. Funky. Funky. Everybody clap your hands. Clap, your hands. clap, 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 clap your hands. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.